I'm sitting here in my own house, minding my own Welcome to High Camp, the podcast where I try to watch all 406 movies reviewed in an out-of-print gay movie guide before I die. I'm your host, Brian Rucker, and uh, I have a great guest today. He's a writer. You might know his work on Gay of Thrones. Sure. Uh, or the other, our rival gay movie podcast, Two Old Queens, <laughs> sure. um, which is fantastic and also uh, stars my husband, but this is not my husband. This is Mark Rennie. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Uh, good. I'm good. I had a pretty good weekend. Thanks to you, mostly, because oh, sure. uh, you invited me over to the house that you were house-sitting I'm house-sitting. There's, yeah. there's a pool, so you got to make use of it. Oh, uh, yeah. In the summer, so this is being recorded in the middle of July during... It's probably not even the peak of the heat yet. It just started. It is even cooling down. I think it's like now peak is like September, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was like we had a a long June gloom. July's been fine. I'm glad we're recording this like sort of early in the day because this room gets hot in the afternoon. Uh Uh-huh. We'll be sweating by the end of this. Cool. I mean, it's not a good podcast unless you're sweating. No, exactly. Um, Did you enjoy? I love a cocktail in the pool. I mean, there's nothing more relaxing oh than that, my right? God, yes. I mean, my literally, like my dream in life is just to be able to spend time in like a pool bar for the majority of my life. <laughs> sure, to be able to swim up, order a drink, and uh-huh. just like never get out of the pool. What was you were drinking something that looked fun? I forgot oh, to ask you. I saw the bottle, the was, empty bottle. <laughs> it was a mistake. What happened was so I had like one of the watermelon beers. That, did you bring them? Or? I brought them. Okay. Golden Road had a great variety yeah. pack with this fabulous watermelon cart, melon cart. I'm a sucker for any watermelon beer. It didn't even taste like beer. No, it was, but it wasn't like overly sweet either. No, it was damn good. Very refreshing. Then what happened was <laughs> our friend bought, brought some homemade watermelon juice. Ah. And I wanted to spike it. And there was a bottle of vodka sitting out, which I thought was part of the party sure and i put a little of it was like peach vodka i put a little bit of that in the watermelon juice Uh and it was sort of disgusting (laughs) but i then i realized that this bottle of vodka was not in like the cooler that everything else was in. i think it was just sitting out in the backyard yeah so i don't i think it might have been sitting out there for days or weeks. weeks absolutely so i'm just glad i Got out of there without having to go. Do to Do you the think it was room. the peach element? I think it was the heat. The, the, the heat cooked the, the vodka yeah. in a weird way. And well, it probably wasn't a very like expensive peach vodka to begin with. Are there expensive peach vodka? I'm sure there's some like artisanal peach vodka <laughs> oh, on no. the market now. No, I feel like none of those flavored vodkas are ever any good. No, I never. Yeah, I never <laughs> get that. Uh, there, there's new. I think it's like Schmirnoff or Stoli that are doing like the botanical vodkas, oh. which are basically just another word for gin for people that don't want to. Isn't there like gin. buttered popcorn vodka, like cinnamon roll vodka? I think there is. That's disgusting. Yikes. The one I wanted to try, I think there's like a rose, something with rose and maybe like an herb that sounded oh. a little classier. Yeah. But I'm mostly tequila and gin. I've been, you and I, but my cocktail this summer has been, it's called Texas Ranch Water. Ooh, what's that? Have you heard of this? No. <laughs> it's tequila. Topo Chico. Okay. You know, Topo Chico. Yeah, the Texan. It has to be Topo Chico. 
and then pretty much then a splash of lime, and then you salt the rim. That's oh, that's it. nice. That's refreshing. I had it in the pool. You did? Not this time. The yeah, time yeah, before yeah. I had it in the pool. Uh, it's great. So it's like it's sort of like a, a almost like a skinny margarita. It's like a skinny margarita, but lighter. I I've yeah. been ordering and the Topo Chico. You know, the Topo Chico has those. I always say it's like lighter bubbles. They're like know. smaller but bubbles. But how is that possible? I have no bubbles, idea. Bub- maybe there's just less bubbles. It's less carbonated. Maybe I I've only had Topo you, Chico a handful of times. It's good, and you love Whole Foods. I thought. Well, I can't afford to shop there all the time. Yeah, I do. We well, gotta be boycotting them. On I Prime know. Day. Is it? It's it was Prime Day. We're recording this on oh, second shit. Prime Day. Well, I have not. You've stayed off Twitch. I've, I yeah, I've stayed off Twitch. <laughs> I was able to. Uh, stay off Twitch for a couple hours at least. Good reads you're not supposed to go on. I accidentally went on it and rated a book. Oh, no. I felt like a real jerk. Wow, what were you reading? I just finished a book called My Best Friend's Exorcism by oh. Brady Hendrix. Was it? Did you give it a it good review? It was fun. Cool. I gave it a good review. Yeah, it's fun. It's like an 80s uh, slasher movie, but in book form. Oh, that sounds fun. It was I've, fun. I've been reading City of Nets for a while. It's like a Hollywood history of the 40s, oh. but through like weird like not the biggest stars so they'll talk about like Bertolt Brecht sure and people like that and it's a little it's less sort of fun than I was expected but it's more like academic a little bit so it's been slow going what do the nets play into city okay I should know this it was it's quoting something and I think it basically is like this is a city where people are like drawn to and then they can't escape trapped yeah which I mean, is LA traffic, true. right? You know, yeah. that five. Uh, we got to get those dedicated bus lanes. Uh, and then we can, I guess, take the bus. Absolutely. I love the metro. I take the metro rail all the time. See, in I live in Atwater Village, which there's just no, there's no good, good way, way to get to the metro. So I'd have to like drive and then. You could ride a bike. I could. To the metro. My bike was stolen soon after I moved oh, here and I had a new one. <laughs> take so. a lime. I would Take die a, in 20 seconds. What about a jump bike? But then you're supporting Uber. Yeah, th- so those are the, those are like the real bikes. I would do that. But maybe. then there's also, I think those are powered. Oh, ones. even better. But then there's the wheelie ones too. There's a, but I'm downtown a lot. So I see every strain of these things. Do you do it ever? No, oh, I've yeah. never done it. I never I w- need to. It's always like um, my distance is either walking distance or I just take the train. Yeah. It's like an. I think it seems like a thing to do when you're like visiting downtown. When you're like, I'm gonna have a day. We're going to the Bro. Then we're going, you know, the Grand Central Market. And like, yeah, because downtown in LA is like, it's not as condensed as most downtown. So you think sure. that you could just like walk from from like Grand Central Market right. to the Ace Hotel, and you can't. It's like that would you be like can't. a half hour walk. Yeah. So maybe that's what those are for. Uh, I just I'm. A fucking loser, and I just drive <laughs> oh everywhere. Gas guzzling guy. You're letting the earth burn. I guess so. Wow. Um. So this is the middle of summer, midsummer, perhaps. <laughs> midsummer. Midsummer. What? Uh, have you been watching anything fun recently, like movies or TV? Um, in the theater, I feel like the summer movie season has been kind of a. For me, I like my big summer tentpole blockbusters. Yeah, I enjoy them. I enjoy beating the heat, but they've. I've been kind of disappointed. Um, mm-hmm. The only ones I really loved, t- in terms of big dumb blockbusters, I liked Endgame. Uh huh. I liked this new Spider Man. I did too. And then I liked. Um, 
Maybe that was it, those two. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Toy Story 4. Oh, yeah, it was all right. I, I loved it. I cannot get fun. into any of the Toy Stories as much as other people. Um, I get it, sure. It's like, it's a little too saccharine for me. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's something about it where... This one was the least... I like that it was less intense than part three. That's true. And there, like, yeah, They didn't was, go for it. It was more like a nice epilogue. Totally. Like, Woody's got to get out of this relationship. He's never going to find happiness with his family. I'm so glad he left. He needed to leave. I think he should leave the movies. Woody is, like, an irritating character What are you to talking about? Because he's so, just, like, a doormat, and he's, like... Well, that's this movie. He's not a doormat at the end. He yeah, stands up for no, himself. That was his arc. And in a way, that's his arc through the whole franchise. Yeah, I think... I just like a character that has a little bit more of a, like, a naughty side. And he's well, like, you're not going to get in a rated G. No, I guess <laughs> What do you mean? Not. Like a prankish spirit? Like well, a Bugs Bunny? An yes, early yeah, yeah, Mickey yes. Mouse? Yes, like a real, a real rascal in my animated heroes. <laughs> uh, well, you're not going to get that. No, he's not much of a not. rascal. He's a, he's a good, decent cowboy. Yeah. So I'm glad that he, what did he ended up with? The Bo, post- he lived in Rogue, off the grid. I like Annie Potts. <laughs> sure, who doesn't love yeah, Annie Potts? She, I mean, Iconic they, in Ghostbusters. Absolutely. No one's referencing her in these new Ghostbuster movies. Is she not even going to be in the I new don't one? No, I don't care about these new Ghostbusters Oh, God, movies. I don't care. Well, I did see Ghostbusters 2 in the theater when I was a little kid. Of course. And was completely traumatized. Why? It's so scary. The the Vigo who jumps out of the painting. Oh, yeah, yeah he's scared. Um, the Carpathian? Yeah. Uh, that movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade... Um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. These are all the movies that traumatized me as a child. I never, I had a pretty, like we had uh, HBO growing up. So my parents would just let me watch whatever the Saturday night movie was that, because that was the oh, premiere yeah. movie every Saturday night, okay. how they used to do it. Uh, and we would just watch what they would just let me watch whatever that was. So like, I always remember like Legal Eagles, like these oh, movies, wow, nobody, yeah. White Knights. Oh, funny. Like this is the era. They, so I would watch adult rated R movies and like never... Had a, like I was never scared or freaked out or anything, but and my dad would take me to see Platoon. I oh, was like wow. twelve because my mom didn't want to go, but he took my Your brother dad. and I. Did you have an older brother? I have an older brother. Okay, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. The only movie Platoon. I ever got freaked out from was I had a fever, and the neighbors uh, were watching me, and we watched Annie. And that, freaked you out? Yeah, that night I hallucinated Annie, <laughs> Danny Warbucks, and Sandy staring at me. So it wasn't like a wish fulfillment that I'm going to get adopted by this billionaire? No, I was fine where I was. Okay, great. Good. <laughs> the simple sure. pleasures. Uh, and then what's your like relationship to camp movies or like gay old movies? Do you seek them out usually? I do. Yeah. I like, I've seen a bunch of uh, Douglas Sirk movies. Okay, I guess cool. the one I have a gap in is like classic musicals. I did just watch Cabaret for the first time. Oh yeah, it's great. It was great. I really loved it. Because I think, and I haven't seen it for a while, but Cabaret, if I understand it right, like was sort of reinventing the movie musical at that point. Like no one had seen sort of as dark uh, a musical. Like mature. And yeah. Like, I think the, all the musical numbers are diegetic. For sure. You know. Because it was like, in the middle of the 70s with like new American cinema. Right. So had to compete with that type of stuff. Uh, it still hold, it still feels very modern yeah. and relevant. And like it doesn't put a pretty bow at the end of things. Talk about a rascal, that mask, master of ceremonies. Oh, he really is a trickster. Yeah. I guess he's like the spirit of Germany, okay. I guess, in a way, because he kind of goes along. like He plays the Nazis. He's like kind of mocking whatever Germany is at that moment throughout the movie. Yeah. I don't know, because he's never a character. He's never like an actual person. You never, no. see, you only ever see him as, the, I've never seen it on Broadway, so I don't know what I, it's like on Broadway. But yeah, he's I never like an actual yeah. character. He's just almost like a 
don't know. He's like a magical spirit kind of. Yeah. He just floats in and just is kind of mocking the whatever is actually happening. Because he doesn't really have any dialogue aside from mm-hmm. his songs. I think that's similar because I saw the musical. And he's kind of creepy. He's very creepy. Which I loved. Uh, yeah. It's amazing that Cabaret, I mean, all that stuff about World War II, like that had only been 30 years in the past at that point. Yeah. Like it would have been like if we were our age in. Talking about Iran-Contra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like we would have we would have remembered or at least been children when that happened. Yeah. Um, and now. I don't know that people are uh, really wrestling with current, like, horrible things that are happening in art as much. Or I think least... you have to go to, like, horror movies. I feel like horror oh, movies yeah. are a good, like, uh, temperature taker. Yeah. Because that's, you know, like, uh, they always kind of reflect, like, slasher movies always, like, horror gets big when there's, like, conservatives in office. Oh, Totally. And then, like, there's, like, a Saw and, like, Hostel were big when, like, you know, Al, you know, uh, oh, during, Grave yeah, was, like, yeah, that all was, like, it kind of just reflects. That's true. I think everything now, you sort of have to put it into a genre. Even, like, those A24 sort of artsy horror movies, it's still <laughs> sure. a horror movie. Uh, Absolutely. And you're never going to get a big melodrama, like, imitation of life. It would be like, on TV. It'd be on. T- it'd be like yeah. HBO mini. That's Big Little Lies. I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. is what that is now. Yeah, Big Little Lies. This is coming out. We're recording this sort of soon after the whole like Andrea Arnold controversy in Big Little. Did you hear about this? I heard that like she lost editorial control. Yeah, she was. And I've I've been enjoying this season, but I like Me I too. love American Honey. That was one of my favorite movies oh, of I the past few years, and she I think she's an amazing filmmaker. So it made me angry that I was enjoying it after I heard that she was like not given final cut after she was promised it. Uh, yeah, but then uh, yeah, that but I'm still in, for her. I'm still enjoying she it. She got her paycheck. She did. She'll and work she, on something else. Yeah, that's true. She'll be fine. That's a good way to think of it. You know what? She's not gonna hurt because of this. I didn't watch the last episode, but oh. there's only one left. Yeah, there's right? one left as we're recording this. We'll see. You guys will know. Does Meryl get murdered? You'll I know don't before think we so. Know. I don't think I don't so. Think so. Um, I don't think anyone's going to get murdered. I think someone might kill themselves. I would be more surprised ooh. if Meryl like slices her own throat on like the courthouse steps. Oh, I'd be into that. I would. <laughs> and then smears the blood that. on the her grandson's faces. And then yeah, and then you <laughs> this see is Nicole your mommy's Kidman fault. Just just lose it or laughing. Oh yeah, <laughs> take a selfie. That'd be great. They just can't push anybody else down the steps. No. That'd be funny if they that, did to Meryl again. They all just sort of tumble down the stairs. <laughs> oh, no. And, um, like and then we just have, like, the detective. Katamari Damasi ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Imitation of Life. I asked you, like, what you wanted. You said you want to see some Douglas Sirk movie, maybe. We. You also asked about, like, maybe a horror movie. I've just done a couple sure, of sure. Like, horror movies oh, recently. Sure, so sure. I wanted to get away from that. And weirdly enough... This, because I want to, I'd seen Imitation of Life before and I loved it, but I, I sort of wanted to watch a movie that I'd never seen before. And weirdly in this book, uh, Imitation of Life is the only Douglas Sirk movie listed, which was surprising. That's why I wonder, like, uh, it does feel like maybe it's just like, it's his last studio picture. Yeah, I think it was right before he like retired so I wonder back if it's to like Germany. his definitive. Maybe. Like this is like everything you know about Douglas Sirk you can get from this one. Yeah, like the bright colors, the the sort of close-ups on these women's faces. Um, Although it's not as 
pretty as like uh, all that heaven allows, no. which has those amazing like the deer and the clearly studio fake outdoors, which is one of my yeah. favorite motifs that nobody ever does anymore. Oh, totally. Yeah, this one is mostly well, except for like the beach at the beginning. It's mostly like interiors. Yes. Um, I had never seen it before either. Had you seen the original? No, I didn't even know there was an original. So there, there was an original version with Claudette Colbert that came out in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was based on a novel. I've never seen that. I'd be curious to see. I read about the differences. The differences apparently in the original, the woman, uh, the the white lady, essentially yeah. takes in like this black housekeeper and her daughter. But then like the housekeeper, not her friend, her housekeeper, yeah. who they live with for years and years, right, right, right. still remains, comes up with like a waffle recipe. But then the white oh. lady takes credit for it and just takes all the profits. And, Interesting. Like, so this was the more progressive version for 1959. This is progressive for 1959. Yeah. And maybe I'm, I mean, it's, I'm blinded by my own white privilege, but like this seemed even watching this today, pretty progressive in some respects in the way that it, it, it lets, it acknowledges that racism (laughs) exists. Not only that, but it acknowledges that white privilege is a real thing. Yeah. Like I think that's what the movie's about. And then also it gives, at least for part of the movie, it sort of lets, uh, Juanita Moore's character, the black housekeeper, she sort of drives the story for a little while. Like sh- you sort of see everything through her eyes sure. for part of the movie. Towards the end. Yeah. And I thought that was, I don't know, more than I expected, I guess. Sure. But there is still an awful lot of time spent with this white lady and her Broadway career. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the and first her jewels, of- her jewels. This yeah. movie had a $1.5 million jewelry budget. That's fantastic. And that's, I and guess. And you see it all on the screen. Yeah, but like in a story, imagine if they made like a movie about Sel- you know Selma, and then there's right. also a line with a there's some white lady, and they're talking about all her fur coats. Like that's you said it. This seems like a mixed message. No, totally. Which I think makes it camp. I could see that. Yeah, <laughs> they're like part of some of the performances, uh, and yeah, and the glitz. Um, there's a lot of and also a woman who rags to riches, totally. a woman building herself up. This, it, it so seemed um, influenced by Mildred Pierce. Sure. Like just the daughter, the daughter relationship. Anything. And the like rags to riches. And that's so interesting. You said in the original version, there was like the waffle recipe thing. Oh, because the fried chicken restaurant? Yeah, because that's like out of Mildred Pierce too. Don't you just want to go to that Mildred Pierce restaurant? Well, we live right by what I imagine. Dinah's? Dinah's, yeah. No, but the Mildred Pierce, wasn't the Mildred Pierce like on the beach and it looked like it was in a house? I think that was the, ex- the, the, the first movie. one was in Glendale and then she expanded to the beach. I want to go to that beach one that's looked like it's on an, in an actual ranch house. Like that is my idea of like an, it's kind of looks like the Plaza Inn at Disneyland. Oh, totally. Where you get the fried, the broiled chicken, I guess it's technically not fried. I got yeah, I guess it's just we are getting broiled meat. <laughs> but I, that Mildred Pierce fried chicken restaurant on the beach, that's like one of my top I wanna or whatever the ranch house one is, yeah. that's the one I wanna go I to. I mean Malibu, most of their little beachside restaurants are fish centric, so it would well, that's be that's not Mildred's way. No. No. Fish maybe is on the menu towards the end in Mildred's right. restaurant. Like there's something for a pescatarian. It is funny if you believe like the myths or the legends about Joan Crawford that she made like in the Mildred Pierce she's portrayed as like a woman doing everything for her children. Yeah. And you wonder if like well I wonder if that's how she saw herself like I do oh, everything sure. for my kids. Because uh, apparently I don't the mommy dear stuff is a bit overblown. Yes that's what I've heard too. Yes. Uh, and eventually we will get to mommy dearest on this podcast. Is that in the which, high camp? Yeah yeah yeah. 
and like a couple people have wanted to do it. I I really like hate that movie. Why? Because I, I am such a Joan Crawford fan. I feel like it's slander against her, but maybe I need sure. to get over that. But it's like, I mean, it's slander against Joan Crawford, but what a pedestal for Faye Dunaway. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, Who, you can pick your poison. Totally. And Faye Dunaway, I think, is more of a monster than Joan Crawford ever was. Absolutely. Probably. Sure. Why not? Based yeah. on what? Um, just <laughs> anecdotes I've heard. Oh, sure. Um uh i yeah i love i think mommy dears is very watchable though i got i gotta see it again uh maybe you'll come back eventually and you'll just return. remove yourself consider it just like fan fiction yeah 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 that's what i have to do uh so back to imitation of life it did not have joan crawford but lana turner in i guess was okay so like she was a, a huge star ever since the forties where she was like the sweater girl. She was in those Andy Hardy movies. She like stole Mickey Rooney away from Judy Garland in real life. And she was like married eight times through her, her life. And this movie happened basically right after her daughter stabbed her mobster boyfriend to death. And there was like a big trial. And then imitation of life was sort of not really her comeback, but it was like, released against the backdrop of all this real life drama. So I think that probably also like plays into the camp element. Cause you're, you're sort of gawking at like, what is and the, even the title, like you're, you're thinking, Oh, this is going to be about Lana's life, which but is this not movie is an imitation of her life. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's has an angelic daughter in this one, Sandra she, D Sandra D who, who is so cute. She's and, so beautiful. And she reminded me of like Selena Gomez, like her sort of baby face. Oh yeah. But also like, kind of younger drew barrymore oh totally yeah like like just cute you know like a cute sporty spunky yeah she was so watchable um and she i mean i think for people our age like you only sort of know her from the grease lyric like look at me i'm sandra d right right, right, and you don't really know because she was in all the like in a bunch of beach movies and i think this this came out like sort of right before she became the biggest teen star for a couple years Mm. and then i was like googling her it, w- it was that typical sort of teen star couldn't transition to adult roles and, you know, went into like anorexia and alcoholism and oh then became a recluse. God. She was uh, interviewed on Sally Jesse Raphael in like 1990. <laughs> it was the first time she'd like been heard of for 20 years. And then she died of kidney failure. Oh, no. So that was like sad because she's so spunky in this. Yeah. Um, and just never. It's hard to when you it's hard to escape, you know, that child actor. Yeah. Curse. Especially like people resent you growing up. Totally. If you're like the most the most famous person in the world for a few years. And I think also just physically you have that youthful appearance, you're not gonna be able to transition to like more serious adult roles. Yeah, it's who's who's done it? Well, Lana Turner did it. Lana but she Turner, was always oh. like sexy. She was never sure. sort of the cute. She was never a little kid. No. Ron Howard, I guess. Yeah, Ron Howard. Uh, I guess Drew Barrymore to some extent. Absolutely. Santa Clarita um, Diet. People love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jodie Foster, obviously. Obviously. That's I think a good Kristen one. Stewart's doing it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But not poor Sandra D. Poor Sandra D. Tough road. Where's her life story? Uh, oh, th- she was actually, I didn't see it, but there was that Bobby Darren movie. Kevin, With Kevin Spacey? Spacey? Yeah, because like, she's Kevin or she's Bobby Darren's wife. So whoever the lead in oh that one God. was playing Sandra D, I believe. Was Bobby Darren gay? Probably. Did they mention that in the movie? I have no idea. Would Kevin Spacey dare Dane. Oh, to I don't play? know. He's sort of like a Travolta, like he would never play. But now he's out. 
that was well, his defense. Sure. That, now, yes, he's out. I find you, uh, speaking of Travolta, do you find yourself, I have more pity for John Travolta than anything. Like, I don't have anger towards John Travolta. No, he seems very sad to me. He seems like a sad, and I get it. Like, he's been trapped by this thing, this, church. this corporation. But if he just abandoned those shackles and just came out, I think everyone would just embrace it. I guess, except I think he probably has enough skeletons in his closet of non-consensual... Man, big deal. I've heard stories of... But no, but like, he will hire a masseuse and then get handsy in a non-consensual way. I don't... This is all alleged. (laughs) It's not Kevin Spacey level. Um, Sure. I was just watching Pulp Fiction for for the first time and probably since, since it, like almost came out. Oh, I yeah. I hadn't seen it since I was a teenager. How'd it hold up? Really well. Uh, John Travolta is so weird in that movie. Yeah. Because I always remembered his character being like very cool and he's not he's at like, all. He's uh, dorky. Dorky, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was very weird. But he, yeah, he's a strange guy. He's a strange guy. Oh, I mean, that's what happens when you're going through the world full of repression. Yeah, and like he... I wonder, I mean, if Scientology never happened for him, there would be a point where he would probably have come out, I guess. I don't know, because if you come of age like in the 70s and the 80s, yeah, you so know, we don't have a lot of our stars in their 60s coming out. No, especially now. like leading men. Yeah. Um, well, that point's behind you now, you know what I mean? Like, be a great character actor. He could have gotten a fun role on Tales of the City. Yeah, I mean, he was on the Ryan Murphy OJ movie. He was and he was man. in Hairspray, which, the you know, he was fine in that like it was he was, he was no the divine. makeup was doing him no no and the favors. baltimore accent um <laughs> oh god but then so <laughs> back to imitation of life back we're going on a lot of, of tangents here uh juanita moore plays annie the the maid who uh they meet so lana turner's like searching for her daughter in coney island on the beach and then she finds her playing with this other girl who is being taken care of by Juanita Moore. Uh, and the the girl looks white. Well, that's the, her daughter, Juanita yes. Moore's daughter. So it turns out to be her daughter. Yes. Um, which becomes a major plot point in the movie. Interestingly, Susan Coner, who played the daughter, was like the Scarlett Johansson of her generation because she was not black. No, she's like Mexican she's and half Jewish. Mex- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so then, yes, Lana Turner like takes her... And her daughter in as she's becoming a famous theater actor. And the girls are basically sort of raised as sisters slash best friends. Right. Uh, and then so like the first half of the movie, you, you're following basically Lana Turner's rise to stardom through, you know, dealing with sketchy agents. And lecherous. Lecherous. Yeah. Like basically you're not going to get this part unless you fuck me. And she was show that there's that one scene with the agent. Like I felt like she was on board for a lot of I that. Did too. And then at the turn, like he finally is explicit with like, no, yeah. you have to like go to bed with these people. Then she's shocked. Yeah, that was very. But it weird. seemed like she could not read the subtext. No, because she she came in, and that, I I love watching movies where it's like the like an actor playing a struggling actor who does the thing where they like go to the audition not having an appointment and like pretend that they have an appointment that's just like such sure. a fun trope yeah yeah um and she does that so great like convincing the the girl at the desk that like the guy was supposed to see her and, yeah, yeah yeah and then of course she's she gets hired but then like she's not good in this role but then she like changes the role and makes the playwright playwright fall in love with her 
Right, she's got a real uh, dynasty. There's also this whole subplot with this guy, Steve, who's like a photographer who dreams of being an artist, but eventually sells out to become an advertising agent. But like everyone in the movie just adores, but he's a real asshole. He is an asshole. Like in the very, she gets this great audition and he wants her to quit because now, well, I'm in love with you and I'm going to tell you what goes. Therefore, you need to stop your dreams. Yeah. and And she tells him to fuck off. But still, everyone's fawning over Steve the entire movie. Who's just like a total nothing. Yeah, he's an asshole. Uh, Yeah, he. Really controlling, chauvinist pig. Like, what is he bringing to the table? I don't know. Yeah. I like she's in love with him. And then later you find out her daughter is also in love with him. Yeah. But he he like sells out. And I, you know, whatever capitalism, like I'm not going to blame you for for taking a job with a sure, beer company sure. if you're going to pay the bills. But yeah, he's so like high and mighty. And it's just that weird thing of like, if I'm going to be in a relationship with you, you're going to have to like stop working. And that's that not even 50s. questioned. Yeah. And then it's also weird for him to go on dates with his love interest daughter. Like you're taking her to like these romantic Italian restaurants, like dressed to the nines. Yeah. She's the daughter is saying this is so romantic. Right. And he's just like going on with his Whatever. day. And I, it had been a while since I'd seen this. So I thought, Oh, maybe like they were going to have a relationship and that, that oh, would have been I very thought. Mildred Pierce too. Yeah. But then he, I guess is just completely like in the dark and does not realize that the daughter's in love with him. He's a dud. Yeah. He's a total dud, which I mean, Douglas Sirk, you know, he'll at least have like a Rock Hudson or somebody. And this, I don't even know yeah, what this yeah. man's name is. Who cares? Who cares? I'm not <laughs> even going to look it up. But so much of this movie is about passing. Like, because Sarah Jane is yes. like, in some ways the movie paints her out to be a villain. But she's just trying to do the best with, she's very mean to her mother. Yeah. No, she's never been told that black is beautiful. And obviously we are not the ones to talk about. No. Senses of racial identity. But it does a different era of like, well, you are born this way and the world's gonna be bad because you are gonna be treated less than like that's what the movie is saying yeah and she's i mean she is horrible to her mother but she's right like the the that's i thought that's what was so i thought touching and interesting about this movie's relationship to race is that there there are really like no villains except for white supremacy yeah like she is meant to be bratty and awful to her mother. So her whole life, she, she, she doesn't want to admit that she's black because she can pass for white. And she sort of ends up, um, uh, like disassociating from. Yeah. And instead of like railing against the world being so unfair and cruel, she takes it out on her mother. Yeah. And who's the only person who ever really truly loved and cared for her. Totally. Like her anger is directed in the wrong direction. Yeah. But she's also like a teenager. She's also a teenager. So I don't know. I, I felt, I felt for her and I obviously felt for Annie, the mother, but, and it's like, what, you know, what are we equipped with in that generation or, you know, to Annie, she's working as um, a housekeeper for this successful lady and she's being able to provide for her daughter and uh, and she wants the same thing for her daughter, whereas um, Sarah Jane wants more than that and she, right. she sees a life that she knows would not be possible if people know that she's black. And so she tries to get away from that um, and obviously, like, hurts her mother in the meantime. Well, she, like, uh, kills her mother, essentially. In some ways, yeah. she drives her, she, her mother dies, like, and has so much stress, and, like, she dies of heartbreak, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you never really know what she's sick with. 
Also, the main woman who's Lana Turner's character, what's her name again? Um, oh Sorry, God, no, Laura, Laura Meredith. Laura Meredith. She goes through. It takes five years, and she and she didn't never asked Annie if she has friends or she goes to church. Yeah, it's not a fair relationship. Like this woman still has to work for you after you're this huge success. You can't just like she was there for you when you needed someone to watch your daughter. Yeah, she yeah. was there. She did your lawn. She did address those envelopes in that weird hustle side yeah. gig you have. And then you're still making her work as your maid when you own a mansion. Yeah. Well, what do you think you sh- she should just sort of pay her off? Yeah. She raised yeah. your yeah, yeah, kid yeah, yeah, for yeah. like five years. What more does this woman need to do for you? Yeah. Like, or let her just like support her while she pers- goes to college, do something, does something. Totally. And do you think, you think the movie, like the movie lets the movie, her off the hook? I think the yeah. movie lets her big time off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also the movie spends so much time on her Broadway career when there are actual real personal struggles totally. about racism and like the unfairness of the prejudice and all that stuff. And uh, never really uh, giving equal time to her and wanting to get into a good play is like, uh, it's weird that, which makes it camp, I would think like this weird tonal shifts. Yeah. Well, I imagine everyone at the time thought and again like i'm conflicted because i thought the parts dealing with race were interesting and and relatively nuanced but you're right like the the majority of the movie is given over to this white lady's problems which are still happening in hollywood today like last year's best picture winner (laughs) sure is all is all about that and i think this at least gives um Juanita Moore's character like some agency some but she never really learned anything about her no you never that, know yeah. like who was the father of this bait of her well, daughter. Of either of them like well she's a widow yeah Laura yeah but, but you know, Annie you don't really you never know who she is like what does she want what were her hopes and dreams no. like what does she want out of you know besides just being almost there for Laura whenever she's yeah. just, she's just a saint there to die totally and that's I mean the, she's more of a in some ways I mean, there are shades of it, like, towards the end when, like, the daughter finally, Sarah Jane, like, rejects her and they have this heart-wrenching goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> I love... So, yeah, she, like, go basically flees to Hollywood to work as, like, an exotic dancer. Um, the exotic dancers in the 50s had to be multi-hyphenates. Oh, my God. They were, you like, had Vegas to singing, yeah. dancing, pouring jugs. Totally, yeah. She had these weird, like, martini glass dances that she was and doing. And these weird uh, lounge chairs. I know. God, I wish we could go to, like, a place like that. I love the close-up, though, of all, like, the boorish men laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To make you show, like, this place is gross. Is, like, yeah, a real sleaze pit. Um, <laughs> but even their sleaze pits were pretty nice. I feel like a lot of hipsters, if this those kind of places existed, they'd make a fortune. Oh, it would be so expensive to go to them. It'd now. be the new barcade. Oh, totally. Because like no one was really taking off their clothes. Like this is it was pretty. Tasteful. It was. It was basically like asking your like being ashamed that you're doing like improv. <laughs> yeah, like, it's she's just basically doing her crazy eights. <laughs> yeah, they're asking for a suggestion. There's nothing. There's nothing worse. Uh, but You've seen so, worse. Yeah. So finally, like Annie lets her go and is yeah gives sort of the ultimate sacrifice and you see like this the shot of sarah jane because she she's with one of her like white showgirl friends and they're having both to pretend that she was like her mammy um and then at the end when they say goodbye she whispers mama and it was i guess it was sort of campy but i don't know i was really like moved by i mean that's what's fun like i think camp isn't it doesn't mean you're not moved by you know what i mean i don't think they're mutually exclusive that's why big little lies work because it is campy but then also the emotions are true 
You yeah. know what I mean? Like it does work as drama at the same like those I to me I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like I think sometimes people see camp and just dismiss it for sure. Like I'm never gonna be moved by that. There's no actual meat to it. But I don't think that's true. I think camp and like actual human drama and it could be very moving at times. That's why it makes it fun. Yeah. And like Douglas Sirk, uh I think made yeah, a whole career out of that stuff. Um one detail, the um, the Italian uh, movie director is called Amerigo Felucci. <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and the movie he's making is called No More Laughter. No. To let you know, this isn't a serious foreign film that she is going to be starring. Yeah. What do you think No More Laughter is about? Like... It's an Italian movie, late 50s. I mean, it has to be starting World War II. Do you think it was like a neorealist or probably like Fellini? Yeah, so it's like a little magical. Maybe they're going through a divorce, and I bet you Lana Turner's character wouldn't have been like she would have been one of one of the women in the movies. She wouldn't uh. have been the lead. So it's probably like yeah, like an eight and a half where it's a guy juggling all of these women. Uh, everyone in my film school fucking loved, all the straight dudes in film school loved Eight and a Half, so it made me hate it. Oh, yeah. Because they saw themselves oh, like, God. yeah, I'm a director too, and I'm like, oh, I'm just torn between my art and my all these ladies who want to be with me. It was just like... That's uh, so gross. It's just like head up your ass the most. Uh, it gives those guys... Uh, film bonus. Let them off easy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let them off a little too easy. Yeah, I always forget you went to film school. That... Uh, I should mention it more. No, you should. It's like very impressive. Um, it's not. What? You said, so all the straight guys were into Fellini. Did you study like Douglas Sirk at all in I don't know if we watched or... one of his. I don't think. We watched a lot of, I've seen a lot of like Russian movies from like the 30s. Oh, and, you know, Battleship like, Battle Potemkin yeah, totally. and Greed. Oh, okay. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. all these like, all these like really like it's sunrise. Fun. Yeah, yeah. All these like essentially like pro communism movies. Oh, which yeah, are like, yeah. yeah, sure. Sure. Sounds like a good system. Um, yeah. Th- like this movie, I don't know. There was, and I agree with you, they're spending way too much time on the white problems and like Sandra D. Too, but like, don't get me wrong. I liked this. I think yeah, this yeah, is yeah. a great movie. I was so, yeah, I was so moved by it. I think it like really is should be on the level of like a Mildred Pierce or an all about Eve movies about women's well, I don't lives. Know if it's about all about well, it's Eve. not as funny, but it was like epic in a way that there's has literal scope. Yeah. If it, if it was about men, if there was like a father son rivalry with, you know, a backdrop of racism, like an East of Eden. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it's like a female East of Eden. I do think, and this movie does get respect, obviously like, you know, Todd Haynes, Fassbender, like all of these people have referenced Douglas Sirk, but I do feel like it's underrated. Probably, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It was a critically not loved was when it, it not? came out, but it was. Uh, it spent eight years as Universal's highest grossing movie. Wow! It took eight years for something to beat it for Universal, and yet no presence at Universal Studios. There's no uh, imitation of Life Ride. No, the nothing. Fucking Harry Potter, and now they have a new Jurassic Park one, and not a du- God. We could ride through Laura's career, the ups sure, and downs, yeah. <laughs> all the like. Oh God, all the I I also love just like um, a montage of like theater billboards yes, and her career growing. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was amazing. Great. Um, they don't do those anymore. No, that was like that reminded me of All About Eve too. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, just like the idea of a career in the theater. I also love a scene where she's like, she's auditioning for this big time like playwright, 
and she said uh, she does the scene. It doesn't go well. And then she, at the end, she says, well, I don't think the scene should be in it anyways. And she leaves. But then the playwright's like, wait, stop her. Yeah, no, like no one's ever told me off in 10 years. Yeah. Why don't you play this other like bigger character? Yeah. She gives him notes. Yeah. And, uh, it works. Wouldn't that be a dream if you could just tell people off and then they would respect you more? I'm going to try it. I, maybe we should. Like, maybe that's the key to... We have a commercial audition later today, oh, so maybe that's what that's we'll do. That's a perfect place to test this <laughs> hypothesis. Pretty out. high stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, man. Um, had You hadn't seen this before. I, I had. Oh, you had. I think I, I'd seen this maybe just once before, and I'd seen All That Heaven Allows a long time ago. But I... Yeah, there's a lot of Douglas Sirk I haven't seen. Uh... And now I'm curious. There's like written on the wind, and magnificent obsession. Who's in that one? Uh, I don't remember. No. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> bright colors. I remember loving magnificent obsession a lot. It's okay. like a, it's a real lots of twists and turns about yeah. like there's a lot of blindness. People oh, get go wow. blind. That was yeah blindness and like passing for white was definitely <laughs> a big theme in like 20th century movies. I I wonder like. Because there's, you know, ever since like Showboat and all these movies about, you know, mixed race, mostly women yeah. passing as white. Like, was that sort of the only? I think maybe they thought the only way in to to get white people to understand yeah. was to include like whiteness. Yeah. You can't have just a black story. You couldn't do If Beale Street Could Talk. No. Because there's no in there, you know, because they were so desperate to still appeal to white. Like, they still, up into the 80s and 90s and even today, are having white savior movies. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, there, there's book. more often than not. Uh, and I wonder, like, was this the only sort of plot point that, like, white writers could think of, like, oh, this is this is an arc for this character. Like, this is how she's going to be able to succeed is, like, passing for white. Yeah. Um, and, like, there would be no, there would be no movie without that well and this is also like based on a novel i'm curious yeah like the have you ever seen um fat like me no starring kaylee kuoko absolutely it's not. a lifetime movie you should watch it on youtube okay it's amazing that might be my nominee for sure. that. Oh, like but me. she apparently she just is like an investigative it's not based on a true story but she's an investigative reporter looking for so she goes under she gets a fat suit Oh. And goes undercover as a fat person. That's like that Tyra Banks episode. Um, yeah. And uh, Shallow How, the Gwyneth Paltrow classic. Exactly. But then uh, it becomes uh, later on, the movie becomes about her two lives, navigating who she is as the fat person and who she is as herself. So it like splits off? Well, she is, it becomes almost like Mrs. Doubtfiring oh, in the way of how oh. she's going to juggle these two things, like kind of missing the whole point of why she's started it in the first place so everyone should watch fat like me is what she did right before i think she had just done like the big bang theory pilot so her life could have gone one of two ways and it ended up uh hitting the jackpot doing very well for herself she's like very into horses of course she is yeah she was married to a tennis player for a while of course she was i don't know i don't i don't think i've ever watched an episode of the big bang theory you've never been in a hotel waiting room you've never been in a waiting room you've (laughs) i've seen never been to your parents house i don't think my yeah uh i think i've seen maybe like five minutes on an airplane once sure but i mean it is like a common punchline but like it's also you're fine it's fine yeah it it is what it is and it's just a multi-cam sitcom that sounds you won't die no 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 well, and I've seen, um, I think I saw an episode of The King of Queens, and that made me chuckle. <laughs> sure, wow. Uh, Do you not like multicams? 
Um, I do like some multi. Well, I love like Cheers and Seinfeld. Sure. Uh, I'm not. I was never a big Friends person. Right. Um, I, I mean, did love the Cosby Show when I was a kid. Sure. Um, I mean, it still makes me laugh. Uh, and then of course I love Lucy's. Maybe my favorite sitcom of all time. And hello, Golden Girls. Oh yeah, Golden Girls is great. <laughs> this chair. Wow, you just, <laughs> just by leaving out Golden Girls, you almost broke the chair. Well, we're uh, back from some technical difficulties. I just, I mean, talking shit about a uh, fake fat woman and then look God at, made me break a chair. <laughs> that's karma. Really look into myself. Um, so Imitation of Life, okay, got two Oscar nominations. Do you know what they were? Probably Song, Mahalia Jackson. Oh, yeah, no, she did. I, I wonder if that wasn't an original song. Oh, I don't know. Or maybe they didn't even have that category. Uh, costumes? No, it was actually two supporting actress nominations. Oh. Both for Juanita Moore and Susan Conner. That makes sense. But they canceled each other out. and Split the vote. Shelley Winters from um, Diary of Anne Frank won. Ah. That year. So. Tough break. Yeah, I mean, like. You're I never won- going to win against a Holocaust movie. No, and this was both their only Oscar nominations. Yeah, what happened to Juanita Moore after this? She actually, according to IMDb, she worked a fair amount, I think, in the 60s and 70s. Not like she never got a role like this again. And, you know, this is a a big role. I don't know that it's necessarily a good role because, like we said, she's sort of this It's pretty thankless, but she's in a lot of the movie. Yeah, and she only got seventh billing, which is fucked up. Um, (laughs) Over Below Steve? Way below Steve. Uh, Below Steve, below both the daughters. That is a crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She should at least been above Steve I think below even the skeezy agent. No. No, yeah. That's terrible. But she worked, and she just died in 2014 at the age of 99. Wow. So she had really the last laugh. Good for her. Um, Lana Turner... I think this was like a huge hit for her. She uh, went on, you know, a little run in the 60s, but then I think, you know, popped up in Falcon Crest at the end of her life. Great. Uh, Sandra D, as we said, had a rough go of it. Yeah. And then Susan Conner, I think she did fine, but like she never really got um, a role like this anymore. What a fun, she gets like that scene where she gets like beaten up because the guy yeah, finds out. Yeah, and that was Troy Donahue. Who played her bigoted boyfriend. Um, and like he, yeah, he learns that she's black and then he just fucking. He smacks her around. Then she's literally her. in the gutter. Yeah. She's literally in gutter water. Like it is like, if it is the kind of thing, like if we see it now, you'd be like, oh, that's too much. No. But totally. at the time, it's great. Like, yeah, she, the, when you hit rock bottom in a Douglas Sirk movie, you, you hit really rock do. bottom. And she made it work for herself. She, I mean, I wonder like what happened to that character. If she, she probably, she did. Yeah, that's the one thing I wanted to know. I wish they could have done like an epilogue. Cause it ends, can we say? Yeah, let's say. I it mean, ends with Annie's death and then Sarah Jane shows up late to the funeral. Yeah, Classic at least she Sarah sh- Jane. At least she showed up. Classic Sarah Jane showing up late, but then making a big scene. Yeah. She misses Mahalia Jackson singing a beautiful song. But she shows up for the, a lot of people came out for Annie's funeral. Well, that's what she said. She's like, I have so many friends. And she said, she mentions earlier in the movie, like, this is my only dream in my life is to have this really lavish funeral. She got it. And she got it. And like, and at least, again, I'm probably defending this movie too much, but at least like the movie mentions that 
like Lana Turner's character did not ever ask her about her life. Like you're 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 forced to at least think about that for a second. <laughs> plan, but but not before you get onto her jewels. No, of because, course not. I mean, we still have a movie to sell. It lets white people off very easily. Yeah. This movie it never takes into account the actual society they have created and like maybe it, the society is wrong and not well, Sarah Jane. No. Well, do you think the movie? See, I felt like the movie did have sympathy for Sarah Jane. You think that the movie blames her, like that she is sort of... I think she's kind of cast as like the villain in a lot of ways. And I don't think she is. No, I don't think so. But she's not like a two-dimensional, like Vita from Mildred Pierce. Sure. She, you you see her point of view and she does... I mean, she is too awful to her mother. She is admittedly, she's awful to her mother who is like a literal saint. Totally. Like never raises her voice. She she no. like in, she like internalizes all of the anger that Sarah Jane gives her, but never never lashes out. But she also like doesn't seem to really understand where Sarah Jane's coming from because she is presented as like being content with their life. Right. Which I don't know if that's realistic or not, but it is like it reminded me of a lot of I don't know, a lot of like um debates or conversations that like younger sort of left-wing people are having with elderly or older people about like how quickly to try to change society. I mean, I guess Sarah Jane was never like political. It was just all about her selfish. <laughs> yeah. She was horny and yeah. <laughs> wanted money and uh, had bad taste in men. She did have, they all, they all had bad taste in men. Yeah. That's not a good guy. I mean, Steve was, as we said, a dud and an asshole. We have the agents of creep. I guess yeah. the playwright comes off okay, but he Not doesn't make really. it's never like a love triangle. No, because like also Lana Turner the whole time she's like, I'm not in love with this dude. He's like writing me okay plays. They, but they all seem like sort of light comedies that she sure. doesn't want to do. And then we have Troy Donahue, the in in a part that now would be cast as like a Zach Efron or like an Ansel Elgort trying to like be bad. But is he only in one scene? Yeah, it's like a cameo. He beats her up. That's it. That's all he You does. think they get Zach Efron for that? He's not going to show up for one no, scene guess when not. he beats up a black woman. <laughs> I guess. I guess <laughs> so that not. is not going to happen. But back then, it was probably thought of as like, "Oh, this is like a real edgy." I'm, I'm doing important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing. This is an important film. Um, because they were Sandra D and Troy Donahue were paired together in like a couple movies. Oh, I never saw his face. He's no, he was all from, from profile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was cute, I guess, but he's not like um, he's no Rock Hudson or. Tab Hunter. No. Who's a Republican? Who? Tab Hunter. He was? Repu- is a Republican. He passed away. You know, he still he, is. Oh, he still is in death. <laughs> he he finally came out of the closet. He had that whole documentary about I himself. know. Yeah. I got the book. Oh, you did? I haven't read it yet, though. Um, I love was, that documentary. He was also really into horses. What is with horses? I think it's like, you're just like a rich person. Seems like work. I I mean I'm very allergic to them. The last sure. time I was on a horse, I just had like a complete sneezing fit. Fun, but I like seeing them from a distance. <laughs> sure, like a like a whale. <laughs> oh, totally, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a horse watching season. Like you feel like oh, I'm in Wyoming, big sky country. Yeah, poet poetry. Well, and right here in we mentioned earlier Atwater Village, we live right by a bunch of horses. Oh yeah, people walk around. Yeah, people ride. We gotta look out. Um, they really gave me a dirty look there there was a horse going down my street and i drove not even the speed limit not even like but it was maybe like 15 20 miles an hour around the horse and the woman on the horse gave me a real dirty look she didn't like i'm like this is a fucking street what are you supposed to do wait for her to i don't know follow her i'm like this is my street i live on the street i don't know what i'm supposed to do uh oh so let's 
I guess I should have done this earlier, but I'm going to read a little bit from Paul Rowan. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, all the movies we're watching are based on this um, gay film guide from the 90s called High Camp by an amateur film scholar and uh, critic who worked as a librarian in Duluth, Minnesota. His name was Paul Rowan, and he was a good writer, I think. So he says... I'm an actress and a good one, Lana Turner boldly asserts, attempting more or less to imitate life. This was her smash hit comeback film after the scandal that nearly wrecked her career. Millions flocked to see it in hopes that they'd be witnessing an actual imitation of her life. With such a star, such a title, and such a director, Douglas Sirk, famous for his use of subtextual irony, such a blatantly false imitation can't help but be camp. Lana's agent, Robert Alta, suggests that she sleep her way to the top, but she furiously protests. You're trying to cheapen me, but you won't. Not me. Oh, I'll make it, Mr. Loomis, but it'll be my way. And she does, which brings us to the scene where Dan O'Hurley takes her up to his penthouse apartment with his panoramic view of Broadway, and he tells her, there's your new empire. Not big, but it's the heart of the world. So it's like a lot of quoting the movie more than... A review. He doesn't mention Juanita Moore at all. He does. I didn't oh. want to review the whole thing. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I, like I, li- I literally didn't see that part of the movie. No, he, he goes on to see. Oh, we call. Yeah, he calls her Lana's Negro maid, Juanita Moore. So, okay. So yeah. So we're gonna just sort of stop. <laughs> the book itself is camp. The book. The book itself is. Is that what we're just calling racism now? Camp. It's camp. Yeah, it's camp. It's twentieth uh, century. <laughs> Only gay men love it. Baby boomer <laughs> nonsense. Um. So yeah, that was imitation of life. I loved it. I think everyone should watch it. I think so too. I really do think like if you like movies about women's stories, um, you should watch it if you like Douglas Sirk. And if you want to see not necessarily like a progressive view of race, but at least a movie from the 50s that touches on it. It's like a movie from 1959 thinking it's progressive. Yes. Which, God, yeah, we're still fucking dealing with this today. Yeah. Yeah. did you see Last Black Man in San Francisco? I did. Wasn't it wonderful? I loved it. I loved it. So fun and such a weird tone. Yeah. It <laughs> reminded me, and I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode of this podcast, but it, like, it reminded me of Tennessee Williams, like a like Glass Menagerie. Oh, just sure. Just sort of in the sense of like memory. Right. But um, it was, there's such like a comedic lightness to it all. Yeah. Which I really loved. And then like it felt like a beautiful elegy to a city to, we've lost. Yeah. And we both grew up near San Francisco. We know how it's changed. Yeah. Uh, I love the beautiful. And that's a movie that I guess it does have like one white character. Um, Finn Whitrock as like the skeezy real estate. Oh, agent. and also the woman who owns the house. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. She's good. He's always crying. Oh my God. That's like the perfect, like San old San Francisco white lady. liberal. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, so watch imitation of life, watch last black man in San Francisco. Uh, seek out other movies and this is the problem with this these fucking books that i'm talking about is like there are so few movies listed that um are written or directed by black writers and directors or like center uh people of color so you're saying a a gay white man might have a blind spot when it comes to race can you even believe it (laughs) i'm shocked a gay white man from duluth minnesota (laughs) yeah there's it's like um uh, I'm progressive enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I came out. Um, what's it called? The uh, what's the the movie about voguing? Paris is Paris burning. Paris is burning. I just had a real wow. brain fart. That's Hope like the chair breaks again. I know, right? I'm, <laughs> I revoke my gay card. Uh, that is the only movie I can think of in this book that like centers people of color, and it's a documentary. So we have a lot of work to do, guys, as a society, um, as 
I don't know. As no. people, as filmmakers ourselves, this is your you know? Oscar. Yeah, no, speech. just like oh God, just yeah, try to do better, everyone. Very <laughs> powerful. I can stop talking now. Um, what else? Oh, okay, here we go. So, Mark Rennie. Yes. If we were to write, well, and now I'm not going to present this as like a more necessarily more inclusive, more diverse. Okay. Or just, no, but just. If we were going to write a third volume of High Camp, something sure. from, let's say, 1994 to the present, yes. to add a new canon of, of gay camp movies, what would your entry be? Well, I went through my letterbox diary. Oh, oh you're to on Letterboxd, what, too. I'm yes, on Letterboxd. So I went through, what have I seen recently mm-hmm. that I would add to the camp? And I think the one I really liked would be Ma with Octavia Oh, there Spencer. you go. Checks I think all that the boxes. would be a great choice. I think that's an Oscar winner. Doing Grand Gugnall. I don't yeah. never know how to say that. Grand Gu- yeah, I actually looked up because I had to mention that on another episode of this, and I went to YouTube where they like yeah um, pronounce it. And I think oh. you did a good job, Grand Gugnall. Gugnall. Yeah, yeah. uh, Octavia Spencer is great in it. You're never rooting for better. her the whole time. Yeah. She's played a woman with Munchausen by proxy. Uh, yeah. It's there's a lot to love in Ma. You're just rooting. It's a it's a real hoot. Allison Janney screaming at. Oh yeah, Octavia she's barely Spencer. in it. She's barely in it, but um, kills every scene she's in. Juliet Lewis is unbelievable. So uh, it's one of the most fun times I had. At the super movie good, and it yeah centers on a black woman's trauma. And, and she has a real she's a real character. Yeah, in it she too. is. Uh, you so you liked it better because I always think of that going along with Greta that came out earlier in the year. <laughs> oh yeah, you liked Ma better than Greta. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Greta was just a little. Uh, I, I Greta would be a good nominee for yeah, this yeah. as well. I did enjoy Greta. Don't get me wrong. But I just think overall there's a little more meat to Ma. Yeah, like you see her point of view. I think yeah. Ma is a more competently made movie. Greta, I think, had higher highs and lower lows perhaps for me. <laughs> Probably. Um, you might be right. But Don't Octavia Spencer, God, I'm glad that she's getting to play. And I think the movie that is coming out soon, Loose, that was a big hit at Sundance. Oh, she also yeah, plays yeah. sort of like a, a darker, weirder character. Because she's sort of... Her career is, um, she's played a lot of these Juanita Moore type of parts. Right, just like nice helping yeah. people. Helping white people yeah. specifically. She's, and she's done a good job at it. She's great. She can do anything. That's a really she's good She's done nominee. a very good job at helping white people. She has. She's gotten several Oscar that's nominations for it. That's so nice for to it. say, um, No, it's not. I'm, not. I'm just, whatever. She's great. I'm not going to give Octavia Spencer career advice. She doesn't need it. She, she does doesn't great. need it. She could be Ma too. Ma, oh, man. Ma's home for Christmas. They're, I hope they're holiday themed. I know. Sequels. I wonder. So like Sarah Jane could have like turned into Ma maybe. She should have. She should have. She should have killed white teenagers left and right. She should have killed Sandra D. I think she's still alive, the actress that played. Would it be Sarah great Jane? if she like cut off Sandra D's face and wore it at the end of the movie? <laughs> that would have been unbelievable. Do you she love me have. now, mommy? Yeah. Mama. Um, great. This has been a wonderful episode. I hope that we we're talking about sensitive topics with some sense of... I hope just that a yeah. big caveat. We don't know nothing. No, we don't. Um, that's a problem. But that's also what podcasts you are. You know why people need to do less talking and more listening. You're absolutely right. That was me listening. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Mark Rennie, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Where can we find you? You can find me at Twitter and Instagram, at Mark Rennie. I host a podcast with your you husband oh, yes. called Two Old Queens. It's fantastic. I was just actually listening to the latest episode um, with Drew Vude Singh that came out this week. Uh, the Third Man, yeah. The Third Man, which is a great movie. And um, yeah, 
we just analyze how gay move. We have a very complex scoring system that is too insane to go into. And you're you're adding to it every week, right? It gets more complicated. Oh, it's every great. Week. Um, so listen to Two Old Queens. Follow Mark on social media. Oh, and Letterbox too. Sure. Um, and you can follow all this on um, Instagram and Twitter at High Camp Pod. Follow me. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Ruckerbry, R-U-C-K-E-R-B-Y, B-R-Y. Uh, rate and review this podcast. That helps more people find it. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Give us five stars. Write a review. That will really help. And uh, we will back. We will be back next week with another gay movie. Um, I love you guys. Take care.